into building your shire. Hi. Hi. What are we doing? What are we doing? I think we are trying to understand from the perspective of Lord of the Rings, because gosh darn it, it's so enjoyable to watch and you leave it feeling like inspired to be more virtuous. So we're using that as a model to find how we can apply truths in our day to day living. What would you say about that? Yeah, we're seeking to use that as source material to build a, a community, a village around us. And, uh, you know, we're going to call that our Shire. And so we, we're trying to use this medium to spread the idea that there are small changes you can make to your existence that would kind of create what we're, what we're going to end up calling a good peace. Uh, peace around you and around your family and around your loved ones. So we're going to get into that at the very end here. But tonight we are talking about, or we're answering the question of why are we focusing on hobbits yes. versus the characters and the stories that are most like us, which is humans, the world of men. Yeah. Man flesh. Yes. <laughs> why are we not, why are we, why is this not build your Gondor? Right. And why is it build your Shire? So we should talk about why it's not the world of yeah. men. So, and it's not just because the Shire is pretty and green, right? Right. I mean, that is one reason it's nice. I'm attracted to it. But what is another reason we're attracted to it? So when we look at the world of men, the characters that, that we as human beings are most like, yes, we are introduced to some pretty unsavory characters throughout the story. The world of men is out, out, outside of the Shire, and the, and the Shire folk don't know much about it, but it is a broken, gritty, fallen world. It's cynical. Mm -hmm. It's craven. The people in it are, by and large, not all of them, we're going to get into that, but by and large, many of them are seeking their own ends. Yeah. If they rule, they are ruling for self-gain, which, I mean, that's the definition of tyranny. Right, is rule for self-gain. Yeah. And so it's a broken place. I think it's interesting that when Tolkien holds up these characters or introduces these characters to us, it's almost like he's giving us a mirror. These are the characters we're most like, the people we are most like. He has made the most broken in the story. The elves are sad. The dwarves are isolated. But the humans, they are broken yeah. in a way that is very familiar to us. We are self-serving. We are craven. We are just absolutely busted mm -hmm. right as a society and so you're you know the character that comes to mind when i think of the world of men the most worldly character there is denethor the steward of gondor yes right? he's he's the basically the king of gondor and his job is to kind of hold hold the kingdom together until the king returns but when the king returns he wants nothing to do with the king mm -hmm. you know because he's basically already king. Well, and I think another reason he stands out is because we're just seeing him push his son aside for his own victory. Am I getting the character right? Yeah. 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 He has his this oldest son, son yeah. who he adores, admires, prioritizes, favors, and... That is not because he's just a loving dad. It is for a purpose of seeking power. He sees power in his oldest son. 
that reminds him of the power he drools for. And so his youngest son, being contrary to that, doesn't fit in the mold and therefore does not receive love from his dad. And that's pretty off-putting when you think about... Now, I did not just say pudding. Pretty off-putting, like... The pudding is off. The pudding is off. It's sour. No, it is sour. The family pudding is sour. Yeah, Denethor (laughs) sees in... Boromir, the older son. Yes, thank you for the, the name. Yeah, yeah, no, it's all right. Yeah, the opportunity to essentially continue his line. The steward is a hereditary position, so it's passed on to the son. And so Boromir is going to be like Denethor. He's going to be like his dad. Yeah. So that makes him intensely proud of him, but also uh, makes him reject the younger son, Faramir. Mm-hmm. And Boromir ends up being the fatal flaw in the fellowship. Right? He's the one who tries to steal the ring from Frodo. Tragic. He's yeah. not bad. He's not bad. Yeah. But he is fatally flawed. And it ends up, you know, fatal. It it ends up costing him his life. Mm-hmm. And the younger son, Faramir, is essentially cast out uh, of Denethor's circle. He is blamed for losing the capital city of Osgiliath to the orcs. And... You know, he, he can just do nothing right in the eyes of his father. So Faramir, good guy, cast out. Later, when Faramir gets a chance to take the ring from Frodo, he captures Sam and Frodo. And he, he could take the ring by force if he wants to. He actually says, if I saw this thing laying by the side of the road, I wouldn't even take it. Mm. So he's, as, as he says in the movies, you know, a man of quality. <laughs> and he's cast out for it. He's cast out for not being Boromir who wanted to take the ring. He's literally the tails to Boromir's heads. Yes. Right? So he's yes. cast out. And all of the other kind of upright human characters are also outcasts. Okay, talk for, about for, that. For more. the most part. So I would say you've got like four big characters that are humans that are good, right? We look to them as being the inspirational characters in mm-hmm. this world. So you've got Faramir and then from the horse the horse lords of um, Rohan. almost forgot the name. From Rohan, you've got Aomer and his yes. sister, Eowyn. Aomer is literally banished from the kingdom. Yes. And Eowyn, she really doesn't fit the mold of a woman in her society. She's a shield maiden. She's trained with arms, and yet she's not really allowed a place in the front lines of battle where she craves to be, mm-hmm. right? Her uncle, the king, even tells her, sorry. That's not your place. And mm. Aragorn also tells her, sorry, that's not your place. Mm. And she chafes against both of them. Aragorn asks her, what is it you fear? If you don't fear the sword, you don't fear death, what do you fear? And she says, a cage. A cage. Yeah, yeah. So so they're both sort of outcasts, but they're both good, upright people. And they're living even though it's costing. They're living in a way that is costing them everything, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And then the other one is Aragorn. He's he's a ranger. He's yeah. a, He's an outcast. Other people don't trust him. They don't know what the rangers are, really. And in reality, he's the king in waiting. So all four of these characters are living upright lives, but they are cast out mm-hmm. right, of the world of men. So the world of men is not a place where you can live a virtuous life and be successful. Right. It's kind of the, the setup we get exactly. there. And it might just be the time period, but the world of men seems kind of filthy. Yeah. The way the movies are portraying it, it's this image that everyone is <laughs> not only just dirty because it's you know, they don't have showers, but it's just, you get, 
the sense that they don't have good relationships and anything that is a relationship is based on the exchange of goods or service. You know, it's like, yeah. this is not <laughs> yeah. deep, meaningful um, relationships. This is a struggle. So, yes, it's more about surviving. Yeah, there's very little beauty yes, out there, right? thank you. I think the so the films did a nice job of capturing that aspect, which also comes through in the, in the texts, yeah. in the books, that this is not a world of beauty. It used to be we catch this theme over and over and over again that this used to be mm. a world of beauty gondor used to be a kingdom of beauty rohan used to have these glory days and there were alliances and there were battles that they fought together and great things that they did but now those things are just statues mm -hmm. and they're looking up at these statues and these cities and they're going who built these things it surely wasn't us and i think that's meant to feel really familiar yeah you know when you look at it that way that should feel kind of like a gut punch of the world that we live in today we're looking mm -hmm. up at these things you know these these pieces of culture and yeah 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 we're looking at these pieces of culture whether they are physical or metaphysical and and we're looking at them going who built these things surely not us mm -hmm. they these people that lived not so long ago they were a different species mm. so that's the mirror that we get in the text from the world of men so we're not meant to emulate that if you're going to emulate somebody it's not going to be them yeah. Right? As we said, the, the dwarves are isolated from each other and from the rest of the world. The elves are sad and they are passing out of existence and meaning and, and, all, and, and all, all of that. And so you're basically left with the world of men. The coming, the fourth age is the age of men. Mm. But then you've also got the hobbits. It's kind of this counter, uh, they're kind of this other option. So yeah that's why we're not looking at the world of men there are admirable characters there but that is not a world that we want to build that's the world we live in right, right now yes and when it comes to the joy of watching lord of the rings because it's so familiar it's not very appealing it's something in watching the the life of hobbits we see something unique and different and captivating and and that's not what we see in the world of men. So I do think not only are, I think you were mentioning to me, you know, of course, hobbits are the heroes of the story. So of course we are rooting for the underdog there. Yeah, literally they're literally. under everybody and, else. And also there's beauty there. It's different. It's attractive. It's beauty. Yeah, the, yeah, there is beauty there because it doesn't have any of the the major failings of the world of men it's not perfect as we said last right. time it's not perfect we should we should mention that yes it's not eden right there is sin and darkness there yes but it's it's only when this outside world comes in starts coming into the shire right these riders in in these black robes the the, the nine riders from mordor start coming in and other humans start coming in and crossing through the shire that's when um, the Shire is threatened when the outside world kind of comes in uh, and, and threatens it, mm. right? So it's existing on its own. Uh, so go back to these human characters that we talked about, the, the good ones, the outcasts, right? Yeah. So they, don't, they live in a society where nobody's willing to essentially be an outcast like them because mm -hmm. they're not willing to stand up for their principles. What if everybody in your society, though, was willing to live in a way that was congruent with what it meant to be an upright, good, just person. Mm. You would have the Shire. 
essentially, right? You would have tell a, me more. You would have a society devoid of these characters that are just craving power and drawing it to themselves, uh, whether by craft or by force. You would you would have a society that is free of the you know some of the greed and the entity and I mean the literal magic that is taking place out in the world mm -hmm. isn't present in the Shire, and that's a good thing for, yeah. the, for the Shire folk. So yeah, a society in which everybody is living that the life of an outcast, your whole society becomes outcast, right? Mm -hmm. They become invisible to everybody else. And that's exactly what the Shire is in the story. They're invisible to everybody. Sauron, the great bad guy, yeah. doesn't know where the Shire is. He, nobody <laughs> has any clue who the hobbits are. Uh -huh. Even the Ents don't know what the hobbits are. They're yeah. so out of the way yeah. and keep to themselves. And they're so satisfied with their realm they haven't meshed, you know, with the rest of, of the world. And so there's a reason they haven't meshed with the rest of the world. And it's not because they're backwards or, or broken. It's, it's precisely because they're unbroken. Sure. They, so, they have no reason to turn away. They turn toward each other because of that stability and, and what is good about the Shire. Yeah. So it's only when Sauron's attention finally falls upon the Shire that things go bad for the Shire, mm. right? So this world that that's set apart, out, the outcast world, all of a sudden, well, it's not so outcast anymore. Right. That's when the trouble begins in the mm. story. So what is worth protecting? These hobbits, they leave in order to protect. Again, they're not turning away. They're not selfishly seeking good for themselves. It's for the community and... And it's family oriented in the sense that everybody is kind of related to everybody else and yeah. knows everyone. Yeah. What, what would you expand on there? Well, I would, I would just simply sum it up as it's good peace, right? Peace is not simply the absence of fighting going on. It, it's like they have settled into a generations long peace. And at the end of the third book, there is finally conflict in the Shire where there might be some killing going on mm -hmm. in the Shire mm -hmm. as they scour the Shire and get rid of Saruman's, the, one of the bad guys, uh, henchmen that are running around. Yeah. And Frodo forbids anybody from killing anyone. He says, no hobbits killed another hobbit on purpose in the Shire ever since they settled the land. Yeah. So it's not going to start now. So it's, it's a good piece. Mm -hmm. It's not just the absence of fighting. Mm -hmm. that you know not avoidance it's not avoidance but but it's a good piece in that they have settled into good rhythms right they've yeah. settled into good rhythms they are in connection with each other and with the world around them and so what we're trying to explore with this uh and what we're going to start to get into in in future episodes is in what specific ways can we kind of tweak our existence to live a good piece right yeah with the theory, our, right, our thesis is that Tolkien is providing the Shire as kind of a beacon of here's what good peace looks like. Mm -hmm. Here's what it looks like to live mm -hmm. a life of good peace. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think I want to explore something. There is this dilemma this point where Frodo and Sam specifically I guess Frodo and then Sam by accident 
have to say yes to leaving the Shire. And there is something there that I think you understand better than, than I've had the chance to wrap my mind around. But they, I think, you know, that journey is an important one that they do find growth, meaning betterment, I would say, right? They suffer and they find a more pure existence, maybe, um, by going out of the Shire. And so I think we're going to touch on that later, but I do want to explore that there is a point where the Shire cannot be to itself anymore. And and that is our truth in this world. You know, we are not, it's not possible unless we are hermits to be to the self. So, and of course we've scattered around, you know, our families often are scattered. So what can we do? What are these steps? What are the ways we connect to our community connect to our nature around us and of course that takes a very focused mind what do you think yeah the outside world imposes upon the shire right frodo and sam and mary and pippin they don't go seeking a way out yeah right in fact the entire time they desperately just want to go home they think they'll get to go home once once they get to Bree, right? <laughs> yeah. So they, they get to the to the inn. Oh, what sad realization. <laughs> yeah, they they get to the inn and they think they're gonna hand the ring off to Gandalf and he'll finish the job. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh and then turns out Gandalf's not there, so they gotta go to Rivendell on their own. So they get to Rivendell and they think, Oh, finally our job's done. They talk about coming back home. And they realize we gotta go all the way with this thing. Yeah. We gotta go all the way. So it's always imposed upon them. They're not going looking for mm-hmm. You know, they're not going out saying, hey, let's expose ourselves to other cultures and and other Mm -hmm. um, potentially better ways of living. Again, they're not in a drought culturally. Right. They have, like you said, the full piece of understanding who they are, what they do. Yeah. They are settled. They are settled. They're not in a a dearth. They're not in need of anything back home. Yeah. And so that's where they want to be. But they have to go out. Right. So it's, that's the difference. This journey, we can call it all a journey, right? But this type of journey, it's not an adventure. It's a quest. Mm -hmm. And, and actually Sam kind of makes the distinction later in in the story where he's reflecting on their journey so far. He's saying, you know, this is not an adventure where we went and started seeking for ourselves. Um, You know, an adventure is what you do because you're bored. Yeah. You go out and you want to try and do something different and entertaining. And you're not, nobody goes on an adventure to become a better person. You go on an adventure to go parasailing. Mm -hmm. And then you come back and you go, wow, what a fun time. I can kind of add that to my list of cool memories or pictures or whatever. A quest, and Sam kind of puts it as the people in the great stories, 
they were great because those people didn't go looking for it. They just found themselves in the story. And then when it looked hopeless, they just pressed on. Mm -hmm. And it's a great story because in the end, most of the time they were successful, but they didn't know they were going to be successful when they were making those decisions mm -hmm. in the story. That's what makes them great because mm -hmm. they kept holding on. Yeah. And so they do go on this journey and they do come back in some ways strengthened, in some ways weakened. Yeah. Um, but in some ways strengthened or at least different. Um, but we're meant to feel sad for Frodo, who yeah. really can't. He's, you know, the Shire is saved, but not for me is his line. Mm. Um, and so he really can't come back. He's been too broken by, yes. by the world, by the quest. Sam comes back and he's, he becomes the mayor of Hobbiton mm. six times in a row. And then um, and he has a happy ending and some of the other characters have happier endings, but not everybody does, right? So I, I don't know necessarily what my point is with the well, endings there, but... Yeah. I think you were just commenting on my my first thought with the, you know, what what was the purpose of the journey? And that was kind of you touching on that. But, you know, the quest versus adventure is important and yeah you you said this before to me this the ring was not given to a man to anyone anyone from the world of men or an elf or a wizard like the only group that could be trusted the only person that could be trusted was Frodo because this is the hidden way for the ring to make it back and be destroyed yeah right yeah. the hidden way because no one knows about the Shire who is invested in the ring and this major journey had to be done by someone small uh, in the sense of like they're not part of this greater you know distracted story they are help me with this like well any of the other members of the fellowship or the council of elrond you know the people that are there at the council when they decide to take the ring to mordor none of them could have carried it to completion because they all would have used it to their own varied purposes, right? Mm -hmm. Boromir actually tries to take the ring to use it as a weapon against Sauron. Yeah. His city is sitting there facing this volcano behind the mountains day in, day out. Mm -hmm. They need a weapon and they need it now, mm -hmm. right? We see what would happen if the elves get it when Galadriel is offered Ugh. the the ring, right? You would have a queen. You would yes. have a queen, yes. right? Um <laughs> instead of a dark lord and so she refuses it yeah. right gandalf says frodo tries to offer it to him when they're at bag end in, in the shire he tries to give it to him gandalf backs when he says no i would i could like never he's like do not tempt me don't tempt me right yeah he says i would use it for good like that's how it would get to my heart is i would try and use it for good and that's how it would get me it would mm -hmm. turn me somehow mm -hmm. um the dwarves would probably just prize it for its beauty for its indestructibility uh, and and then would, I don't know, maybe fall to its power at some point, right? The yeah. uh, 
the dwarves were offered rings of power, just like, just like you know, the nine, right? Uh, the kings of men, um, who are the ultimate corrupted men, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Nazgul they literally work work for the bad guy. So, so why hobbits? Good peace. Good peace. They know what peace is, and they yeah. live a good peace. And what we're trying to capture is how can we, in some ways, escape the kind of the broken mirror of the world of men and mm-hmm. get into this this good peace. He doesn't Tolkien doesn't situate the good peace with the elves or with the dwarves or with you know any mm-hmm. other race of creature or person. He situates it with the hobbits who are different from the world of men. They're different from the humans, the the big people as yeah. they call them. Um, they're different, but they're similar enough. We can say they're, they're people. They're very much like us. We can very much recognize some part of ourselves in them. Yes. And so that's why we're going there, you know. Yeah. So either, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about what it would mean to be outcast, but technically in with the Shire. <laughs> Yeah, what if you bring everybody <laughs> with you to be outcast? Yes, then you come, have the Shire. Come to yeah, the Shire. There you go. All right. Okay, so in That's the good. next in the next episodes, we're going to start actually getting into okay, what does it mean to live good peace? Yes. So we're going to start suggesting um, ideas to put into practice in your own life. Uh, we're going to be discussing how we see those things in in the stories, and so for example, one that you kind of brought up that we've mm-hmm. talked a lot about is food. You know, the yes. hobbits, yes. super, you know, focused on, on their eating. Yes. Uh, we're going to have a whole episode about food and what does it mean to eat? Not just to eat well, but to eat good. Yeah. Right. There's, yeah. there's a subtle difference. And and also uh, how that brings us together. Yes. What does it mean to feast with, with other people? Feasting so, and yes. Uh, so that's what we're after. Right. And so we'll also be reflecting on our own journey with this type of of focus right yeah we're gonna be putting these into practice yeah we're we're right in step with anybody who's listening basically all right thank you thanks take care